Hello world, I'm Jared Cunningham. This is the Freelance Forum 2020 podcast series, uh, Autumn Edition. Uh, over the years, the Freelance Forum has been made possible by support from the National Union of Journalists and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, for which we are very grateful. This is episode number two of the uh, Autumn series. I'm talking with uh, Sinead Ryan about financial issues. Uh, Sinead, we spoke earlier in a podcast in early June about how COVID was affecting freelance journalists, uh, the uh, emergency payments and so on. Things have changed since then, obviously, uh, apart from anything else, we've just had a budget. Uh, what would you say is the major changes that people would need to be aware of since then in their financial circumstances? Hi, Jared. Well, I suppose the biggest change can probably be summed up by the fact that um, the government and revenue have become less uh, scared of freelancers. <laughs> I suppose there's a kind of a general view in successive governments over the years that that we we people who work for ourselves are kind of maybe out to do the system or can avail of all kinds of things to not pay tax and and you know that that just isn't true i mean anybody who works who works as we work and uh, knows that that's not the case but a couple of changes notably in the budget um have kind of brought us into the realm of of normal working people of course at a time when most of us are in the gig economy we're, we're grabbing whatever work we can get and, um, you know, probably our 2020 earnings are only a fraction of maybe what they were the previous year, unless we're lucky enough to have contracts with our, our newspapers and radio and television outlets. Uh, the budget itself, um, I, I suppose, first to talk about the pandemic payment, because an awful lot of people had to avail of that. There's 330,000 people still availing of it. Uh, and as long as we remain in kind of swinging between level three and level five, that will continue to be the case. Uh, now, that has been changed slightly. Uh, and there are now no, no fewer than four levels of pandemic payment as the government seeks to kind of separate out all the people that it had lumped together at the beginning of the pandemic. And now it's trying to sort them into different categories. So the most now you can get is 300 uh, back to 204, which is the uh, unemployment benefit. Uh, so that, that's the first thing. Um, and it's really, I think, important to say to people who have been in receipt of that this year, that they will, in fact, face a tax bill for that next year. There's a general view abroad that people who are in receipt of social welfare benefits don't pay tax. Now, in reality, of course, many of them simply don't earn enough to pay tax. If you're on uh, unemployment benefit, you're never going to earn enough to be in the tax net, which is, is around 16,250 a year. However, for those of us who have been earning and maybe in receipt of benefits at the same time, you could very well be tipped into the tax net and that tax bill will become due in 2021. Now, revenue came out after uh, the budget and in a guidance note and revealed that rather than collect it all in one go, they are going to allow people who were on the pandemic payment and will owe tax USC and PRSI to actually uh, pay that over a number of years. They're suggesting up to four, but I suspect you kind of have to plead your case with them. Now, that's great news because that means that you have time to save up for that tax bill and it's not all going to become due next October. 
The other big benefit that Revenue announced is that the ordinary pay and file deadline, of course, we all know 31st of October is the normal pay and file deadline here for both balance tax and preliminary tax. That has been extended this year to the 10th of December. Now, that gives a huge breathing space for freelancers, for self-employed people to kind of cobble together that money. As we know, Jared, the tax, the balance tax is rarely the problem. It's the preliminary tax for next year that, you know, that that causes the the big um, pain there. So a little bit more time there. And I would encourage people, look, you've been given an extra couple of months. How about using it to see what other tax reliefs and credits that you can get from the system? I mean, can you afford to make a better pension contribution? That's the kind of best chance of you getting free money out of the system. Are there any medical benefits sitting there that you could, you can claim back to four years of things like um, Med 1, Med 2 benefits. So it's a good chance to have a route around and just see what might be available. So they were the big revenue changes. Uh, the budgetary changes, uh, well, of course, for those of us filing invoices, the VAT rate now is reduced to 21% from 23% on services. So you'll get net, less gross income in, but you'll have to pay less out to revenue on your VAT return, which is a good thing, I suppose. Um, for home workers, uh, and uh, aren't we all now, we're used to having a small allowance of our gas and electricity bills. Uh, the budget has introduced broadband bills into that as well. So if you so make sure you keep your receipts for broadband. It'll still only be the 10%, but it's worth now because that's that's usually a big bill for a lot of people. Uh, and it's good to have that now included. Uh, and of course, then the self-employed tax credit, and this is what I said at the beginning, they're now beginning to treat us like normal workers, has been increased by 150 euros. 1,650. Uh, that's just the tax credit for being a worker. And that now puts us the same as employees. And it's taken an awful long number of years to bring that up to parity. So I was kind of quite pleased uh, to see that. So they were the main changes. Um, uh, and, you know, I'd encourage people, as always, just to stay abreast of the changes and not to be afraid to engage with bodies like revenue. They're actually very good to deal with um, for the most part. Just to clarify, um, the pandemic payment is taxable going forward. Are are they also saying that you owe tax on the pandemic payment you previously received? I mean, can they retroactively declare that income is taxable? Uh, Yes, they can and they will. Any income you earn from any source in a year is all added together. The revenue doesn't care what the source of it is. It can be work, it can be benefits, it can be a pension. It it really doesn't matter. The only income that does not fall into the tax net is child benefit. It's a universal tax. Okay, but but they but a a payment that was not previously set out to be uh, as a taxable payment is retrospectively declared to have been income all along. And I'm just wondering if they can do that. Yes, because revenue would argue that it was always a taxable pay. All payments are taxable. So the pandemic payment wasn't any different from disability payments or social welfare payments or unemployment payments. They're all taxable. It's just that most people, if you're only on them, you're just not going to earn enough to pay tax. But but they always have been and always will be taxable. So for 2020, when the payment started, what people will have to do next year 
uh, is add up all of their income from all of those sources for 2020. So for instance, you might have worked January, February, March completely as normal, earned your normal income, uh, and maybe reverted to earning your normal income for October, November, December. And in the middle, you were on the pandemic payment. Now, revenue will say, well, that's not our problem. Add it all up and you owe tax, universal social charge and PRSI on the lot. Uh, they're just giving you a little extra time to pay it. So you're not going to now have to pay your tax on, on that all next year. You, you will have to pay it, though. Okay, but it can be phased out over, pay, paid over over several years. Exactly. So they're allowing the pandemic payment portion of that to be spread out over a number of years. Now, they're not going to do that for you. So you are going to have to engage with the services and ring them up and plead your case and just say, look, here's my evidence. I was on this payment. I can't afford to pay the tax on it. Uh, in 2021 can you please help me out and they will uh, and normally you'll, you'll get somebody reasonably human and they'll, they'll be able to do that for you and give you a tax balancing statement over the next number of years what about uh another issue that comes to mind i know we were talking about a different part of it last time which was uh kind of comes up again which is kids would have been headed off to college uh booked accommodation or whatever suddenly that's not happening with lockdowns uh, how would you go about I mean, what are your chances of getting refunds or sorting out something on, you know, rent leases that would have been paid for and so on? Yes, it's a very, very tricky area. Um, well, the government uh, has not committed to giving any refunds back on the student contribution. That's the first thing. That's the 3,000 euros that you pay for a student to go to college. They are giving back 250 euros of it which they're saying is a kind of a help to buy a laptop or pay broadband or stuff that you're now going to have to do from home. But there's a huge lobby in the university third level sector that's saying, look, we need, we still need all that money to pay for courses and lecturers and campuses and all that kind of thing. So you won't get a refund of the 3000. Um, in terms of any advance money you've spent for rent, well, that will be down to the individual property owner or landlord. Um, so there's no uh, particular either consumer law or budgetary rule that would change that. Um, so I know I have heard of some students who are battling with landlords. They pay deposits in advance. They weren't able to take up their place. And now they're looking for their money back. And of course, the landlords are saying, well, we, we can't let it to anybody. So we're not giving you your money back. So unfortunately, that's going to be kind of a to and fro there. Now, others, on, on the other hand, some campus accommodation providers, um, notably down, down in um, Galway uh, and other places, I'm sure, have said, look, we, we understand campus accommodation can't be taken up by students. We don't really want them here on campus anyway. So we're giving back uh, the money that was paid. So look, Jared, it's individual and that's and that's uh, the way it's going to be. So an awful lot of parents in particular are going to be uh, kind of challenged uh, with with that at the moment, as well as the added cost of having their now kind of teenagers stuck stuck at home, eating them, eating them out of house and home and eating all their data as well. And I assume teenagers uh, going to college can't avail of an equivalent of the pandemic payment. There's Susie payments, uh, which you would have qualified for anyway, perhaps, but nothing more than that. Well, it's an interesting thing because, of course, a huge cohort of the people who qualified for the pandemic payment were students doing part-time jobs during the summer. Uh, and it seems now that 
there have been figures released by um, the Department of Social Protection, which have indicated that they're going to have to now find a way to stop paying that because, of course, a lot of these students who would have been working in our minimum wage jobs in cafes and restaurants and pubs, which were all closed down, have gone back now to full-time education. So they ought not be um, eligible for the pandemic payment because you only get it if you, if you would have been working full-time and now you're not working. Uh, so it remains the case that there are a lot of students out there still getting it. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised now if the department moves in to separate out those. But there wasn't actually so like a whole heap of stuff that was that was changed between the budget <clears throat> and everything else. So I think we've basically covered most of it now. Worst case, I mean, a lot of freelancers, I'm, I, I'm hearing back myself from a survey we did a while back. I mean, people's income are way down in a lot of cases from... Uh, in some cases, zero, in other cases, like significant discounts, like 40, 60% of what they'd usually be earning in a year is, is there, are their numbers this year. And obviously, bills still have to be paid and stuff. Uh, could you tell me a bit about sort of debt relief services and stuff, just that if you find, if, if it's getting to be difficult, like things like maps and that? Um, well, we found that during... The begin, at the beginning of the pandemic, back in March and April, there was a big scramble to provide services and money and compensate people and all that kind of thing. And one of the things, of course, the more popular measures or the one certainly that resonated with people was the mortgage payment break. And this was where banks uh, cobbled together and just said, we're going to give anybody who can't afford their mortgage a, a bit of a holiday for three months and then extend it to six months. And it wasn't just mortgages, it was personal loans, SME loans, uh, things like that. Uh, now, that has come to an end and it won't be extended. In the UK last week, they have decided that they will extend it because they've gone into their equivalent of level five lockdown again. But we come under the European Banking Authority, which means we don't control that within our own, our own banking system. And they have said that it's not going to be possible to extend it. Now, the effect of that is that people now may not be able to resume their mortgage payments or their loan payments, despite the fact that they benefited from this holiday, which I, I don't I use that term in inverted commas because it isn't a holiday at all. You end up paying it back just over a long period. Uh, so anybody who finds themselves in the position where they cannot revert to their normal loan repayments will find themselves now in a long-standing um, uh, system called MARP, the Mortgage Arrears Resolution Process. Now, this was brought in shortly after the crash. It's nothing to do with COVID, and it exists for any mortgage that goes into arrears. And in the first instance, the banks, it's a protection. So the banks now are legally obliged to find you a solution that they agree with that you can continue making payments on your mortgage. Now, that could be things like um, making it interest only, uh, taking a payment break, um, extending out the term, warehousing half the debt. There's a whole range of solutions that are in there. The banks don't like any of them, uh, but they are obliged now legally to at least discuss them with people. The big difference, and I'm hearing this from an awful lot of people who don't realise how Mark works, because the first time they've had to think about it. The difference between the pandemic payment, which was a COVID measure brought in for three or six months, is that if you took it, uh, your name wouldn't appear on the central credit register. This is like the kind of the bad books of, of uh, you know, records that are held on, on mortgage defaulters and loan people in loan arrears. 
So if you took the pandemic payment, your name would not appear on that central credit register, which means that it wouldn't affect your credit rating in the future. However, if you're in MARP, you definitely will. Any restructure that is made on your behalf or about your mortgage will show up. And that means that in the future, if you want to even get a car loan or a business loan or move house, that's going to pop up as a black mark against you. So I just want people to be to be careful. You may have no choice and you're in it and that's the end of it. But where you do, um, you know, uh, it's probably best that you're aware of exactly what's what's facing you. I would, though, Jared, tell people uh, the, the worst thing you can do is put your head in the sand when it comes to not paying your mortgage. If you engage with your bank, you're automatically legally protected by the MARC system. And that's done through MAPS, the Money Advice and Budgeting Service. You can find their, uh, all that information on backontrack.ie or mabs.ie or um, uh, the bpfi.ie have, have a, a video, which I voiced myself on telling people how to, how to get, get back with their mortgage payments. If you're in the MARC process, you're protected legally. And the courts will recognize that. There's no question about it. If you don't and you stick your head in the sand, put the letters away and don't think about it and hope it will all go away. Well, what's going to happen is the banks can go after you then outside the mark process. And you really don't want that happening. All right. Uh, Sinead, thanks for talking to me. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always. And hopefully we'll get through this and we'll be out of it not in the not future. All right. Thanks a lot. Much appreciated.